Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Even Abraham, one time, asked God, How can I know? How can I know, God, that this promise that you've made to me will actually come to pass? And that begs the question for us in our lives. Is it ever okay for us to ask God the same thing? God, how can I know? In other words, God, give me a sign so I know that what you've called me to do is actually what you want me to do. Is that okay for us if it was okay for Abraham? Or was it okay for Abraham? Well, guess what? In this episode of the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study, uh, we're going to talk about it. So this topic is called redemption, and uh, it says that the verse is from John 1, 17 and 18. It says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him, who, he, uh, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So here is the devotional. The Old Testament is full of strange things. Stories of a man swallowing fish, a flood that rebooted the earth, a brass section that brought down the walls of a city, just to name a few. And there are plenty more where that crazy came from. Some stories are so outside the norm. Remember we talked about last week, I think, Grady, you brought it up, how the story that, that, that God promised um, Abraham about them being in 400 years in a strange land and how they would be enslaved, and how God would get them out of there. That that seems such an outlandish thing to even think that that could possibly happen. And yet, because it did happen, it gave the Jewish people an understanding that God makes happen what God says will happen. Even though it seems crazy at the time, God sometimes uses crazy to prove himself to us. And so that's kind of where they're going here. So, okay. Some stories are so outside the norm, they're difficult to imagine. And sometimes it's even more difficult to discern God's purpose behind them, at least at first glance, which is why reading about Jesus is such a gift. So much of what God did in the Old Testament makes sense when we learn about the things Jesus did and said in the New. Take the fish. God wanted to save the sinful, broken people of Nineveh, but his spokesman didn't want the job. 
Instead of letting Jonah sail in the opposite direction, God had him thrown off the boat and swallowed by a sea monster that promptly swam back to Nineveh. For three days and nights, Jonah was in the belly of the beast. The same amount of time Jesus was in the tomb. Once, quote-unquote, resurrected, i.e. barfed onto the shore, Jonah delivered God's message of repentance and redemption, and the Ninevites believed. I, I love that. I, the idea of having Jonah going through that, you know, where Jonah's proclaiming, you know, repent and believe, repent and believe as he, as he walks through Nineveh. Uh, you know, jo- I have this picture in my mind of Jonah didn't really want to do that. And I have this idea in my mind of Jonah kind of scuffle, scuffling through Nineveh, uh, kind of with his shoulders down, his head down, saying, you know, in such a way that it only through God could it possibly have happened. It wasn't because he was a great evangelist. He didn't even want the job. I think he did it because he had to do it. You're like a recalcitrant teenager, you know. Craig? Yes. I had never heard the concept before that the fish swam back to Nineveh to Belshazzar. Is that Yeah. Is that just so putting together? It doesn't describe how he gets back there. For sure, but I never thought... That is what happened, yeah. The fish went, sw- swallowed him up off the boat, swam to the shore near Nineveh. But I, does it say near Nineveh? Well, I think we just assume it was, because once he was barfed up, he was within walking distance, apparently. I thought he decided, I guess, I'm down to go when he went. I didn't know he was anywhere close to yeah, I think he was close. I think he, he yes. I think I think you can put two. I don't think that particularly gives you like a, a a mileage, but I think you can put two and two together and say he was relative. He was. It wasn't like he was barfed up at the city gate, you know. But he was. He was in within it close enough that he could get there pretty well. So, okay, okay. So where were we? Okay, uh, okay. So anyway, so Jonah delivered God's message of repentance and redemption, and the Ninevites believed. Nineveh's salvation story was a picture, a foreshadowing of what would take place on the cross. One, humanity rebelled against God. Two, God made a miraculous way for righteousness to be restored. And three, God gave grace to the people who believed. And there's Noah. God told him to build the biggest boat anyone had ever seen, one so ginormous that it couldn't have been towed from the building site to the dock. Water would have to come to it. And Noah endured relentless mocking from all the God-rejectors who were watching. That is, until the rain came, flooding the earth and wiping out every living thing not on that boat. Noah's salvation story was a picture, a foreshadowing of what God, of what would take place on the cross. Humanity rebelled against God, one. Two, God made a miraculous way for righteousness to be restored. And three, God gave grace to the eight people who believed. And let's not forget Jericho, a fortified city that stood between the Israelites and the land God had promised them. God told the Israelites to conquer Jericho by marching around its perimeter wall for seven days while blowing trumpets, perhaps the least intimidating of all the horns, but I digress. On the seventh day, God brought the walls of the city crumbling down, killing everyone inside except a small remnant of believers. Once again, Israel's salvation story was a picture, a foreshadowing of what would take place on the cross. One, humanity rebelled against God. Two, God made a miraculous way for righteousness to be restored. Three, God gave grace to those who believed. That one, two, three pattern can be seen in the majority of Old Testament stories, but the supernatural bells and whistles sometimes keep us from seeing the heart of the matter. 
that from Earth's mo- first moment until now, and from now until the end of the world as we know it, God is writing a story of rescue and redemption. And Jesus, the creator of the world, the one who whispers to clouds to make them pour out snow, the one who sculpted Mount Everest and dug out the Grand Canyon, the one who mapped out the galaxy and hung every star, wrote himself into that story. He allowed himself in human form to, one, be rebelled against, two, provide a miraculous way for humanity to be restored, and three, give grace to all who believe. And because Jesus restored us, showing us who God was and what he was doing, we can learn from the Old Testament, but we no longer have to repeat it. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made him known. So I thought it was a really good devotional because that really is so much the theme of the Bible as we see it. And he took a few of those stories from the Old Testament and showed how they how they foreshadowed Jesus and then through Christ how we are a part of the story ourselves in this in this day and age. So the Old Testament does have you know a place for us even as New Testament believers. And, uh, well, and, you know, I, I was just thinking as you're talking about that, that what's even more incredible is the lineage of Christ goes back to uh, jo- Jonah and uh, not Jonah, but to Joshua and um, and uh, the, 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 what was her name? Who was in the wall? Perhaps say. Uh, yeah, uh, rehab. Rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so so that that shows a connection too. I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so, I mean, there are some places, I mean, I heard there was a church, my sister told me, down in Atlanta, where she lives, where they refuse to use the Old Testament at all. It's only New Testament. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how can you possibly do that? You're not that's getting... Most, that's most of the South. So you're not getting the full picture. Most of the South. They don't use the Old Testament. They use it, but not to the degree it probably should be. You can't. You can't. The Old Testament is so important for us. And, and we're, we're going to see today, and last week, as you remember, we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. We're going to do that again today. Um, so And and because, there's, because God was moving in the Old Testament, and... Uh, you know, it, 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 it helps us to, um, in our walk, to know that God has been involved in people in the world, making his will happen. And that helps us to know that he's still doing it and he will continue to do it. And so that Old Testament is like this great foundation for us to build our own spiritual houses on, you know. And it makes our houses that much stronger to know the foundation on which we stand. So uh, the New Testament can build our house, but the Old Testament gives us that foundation. We're talking about construction, right? The Old Testament is that time we're taking to build that foundation. And then when we become believers, we go into the New Testament, we build that house, but it's built on the solid rock of what the Old Testament tells us and teaches us. And that's so important. So yes, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7 again today. Look at that. But uh, we're going to spend most of our time, I think, in the Old Testament because there's some really cool things that I really love um, that Stephen is bringing up here. And uh, I just, I, I, I don't know how you feel, but like when I learn something new, I get excited. It's like, oh my gosh, that is so cool, you know? And so as we go through some of these things, some of these things that we're going to be talking about today, I had that reaction. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is so cool. I, I, so even though it's not necessarily especially about Stephen. We're going to talk a lot about Abraham again today. Uh, 
I just hope you feel the same way. I hope you feel like, oh gosh, I learned something that's so cool today, so exciting. So let's go to Acts chapter 7, and uh, we're going to, um, I'm going to start again, just a little back, a little bit back in chapter 6, just to set the stage for where we are, and uh, we'll, we'll go through what we did uh, last week and start on a new thing today. So I'm going to start, let's start with um, verse 11 in chapter 6. And we know this well because we've spent a lot of time in this now, but what happens is then they, being uh, the people who are arguing against Stephen, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, to lie, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and uh, elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law, the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So now chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, remember we talked last week how he's saying to them, hey, I'm Jewish just like you are. We're brothers and we're, you know, those who are older than me, you're our fathers. I'm, I'm one of you. I am also Jewish. Uh, brother, that's my, my, my heritage. Uh, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory. So that's, that sounds good. That's a good way to start off, right? So they're saying, okay, well, he's got our ear now because that, that doesn't sound that that's not a bad way to start. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Yes, he did. Yes, amen. Yes, he did. That's right. While he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Uh, Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. We talked about that last week. Haran means to delay. And that wasn't what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to leave his family, leave his father's home, leave daddy behind, but he didn't. And he took his father with him, took his nephew with him. And so he couldn't go all the way to the uh, to Canaan because God couldn't allow pagan worshipers to be in the land to start off with. So they ended up settling, they settled in Haran. That wasn't what God wanted them to do, wasn't where God wanted them to be. But it, they had to stop there until um, his father died. And so then it says, uh, goes on, after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here. Um, uh, he, he gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. So we said last week how this is talking about their time in Egypt as slaves, and this was given to Abraham 200 years or more before it actually happened. This is a prophecy that God is giving to Abraham, that this is what's going to happen to your descendants. So 
we said, if we look back now at, let's go back now, we're going to go quickly back to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to see here that uh, this is part of uh, what God promised Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, I'll call him Abraham, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Because at this point, uh, uh, Abraham's like 90 years old, right? And, and so, and Sarah's like 80. And so, you know, they're saying, well, it's not even possible for us to have a child at this point. So verse four, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a man coming from your own body will be your heir. God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is a very important thing, that this is why uh, uh, in the New Testament, when uh, Abraham is being written about by Paul, uh, he's called this father of the faith, this great man of faith, because when he had no children, and, uh, and they were of advanced age, and it seemed impossible for them to have a baby at that time. And their expectation was that they would not have a child, but that some other way would be made. God said to him, no, you will have a child. And through that child shall come all these descendants that, that number like the stars in heaven. And in spite of the impossibility of that, in Abraham's mind up to that point, when God told him that that was going to happen, he believed God. He immediately, totally, with all faith, believed, as impossible as it may have seemed, that that would happen. And when he believed in that way, in that faith, and God saw his heart of faith, that heart of belief, God accredited him as righteousness, as, you know, a good thing, a wonderful thing, a blessed thing. And, and God gave him credit for that and the blessing of righteousness because of that. So that's all good. That's all good. That's all good. But Abraham, he just... He just had this, like we all do. We have these great moments with God on the mountaintop, right? But we're still human. And the next thing you know, after we have this great, wonderful experience with God on the mountaintop, we turn around and the next minute we're down in the valley with some problem and some difficulty. We're saying, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you doing? Why? And, and all of this. And we so soon kind of, in a different category that, in other words, it's like we have this wonderful God who can do these things, but we're not sure he can do that thing, you know? Oh, God, I, I know you can do this. It's so wonderful. Thank you for doing it. Oh, but God, I got this thing. I just, I just don't know if you can do this. And so let's go see what happened. What I'm talking about verse 7 and, and 15, Genesis 15, verse 7. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans 
to give you this land to take possession of it. In other words, not only, he's making two promises here. He says, I'm promising you a people and I'm promising you a land. And I'm going to give you this impossible child and I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have to go take, you're going to go take possession. All of this land is going to be yours and, and theirs. Verse 8, but, remember the word but. Anytime you see the word but in scripture, remember, the next thing is either really good or really not good. And so this time it's really not good. But Abraham said, oh, sovereign Lord. He calls him sovereign Lord. Sovereign means you can do anything. You know, you're in charge. You're the sovereign. You make the choice. You make the things. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Okay, so you have two promises to Abraham. This impossible child, and it doesn't seem to me like taking possession of the land is as impossible. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm 90, she's 80, she's barren, we never had children, uh, we're past the age of having children, but you say we're going to have a child, I believe that. But now you're telling me to take possession of this land, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, it wasn't going to be easy, right? That, 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 I mean, the implication of that is that there's going to have to be wars and battles and fights. and this, People aren't just going to say, here, take my land. You know, you're going, to, you're going to have to go take it. And so that is a problem for... It would seem to me like if, you, if God said to me this and that, I'd say, well, the possession thing would be less of a problem than the childbirth thing. If I was going to question either of those two, I'd question the other one, but... But Abraham said, how can I know that I will take possession of it? And so he's asking God for a sign of some kind. You know, give me something. In other words, just because you said it, God, isn't enough. I need, I need some kind of proof that it's going to be the case. And so God gives him proof. Just ship down, skip down there to verse 12. It says, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over, came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country. Is this familiar to you? Strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So there is what Stephen is talking about. And it is a result of because what, what God is saying to Abraham is that, this is going to be a sign to you that your people will take this land by. Now, Abraham wasn't around to see it happen, but God was saying, I'm going to give you this amazing, miraculous sign, and your people will know that this land will be yours when they come up out of this Egypt, that I'm going to provide this land for them. Which is basically, it took a while, but that's basically what did eventually happen for all intents and purposes. But this got me to thinking about This isn't the first time. Well, maybe this is the first time. But there are other times in the Bible where when God speaks to people that it hasn't been enough, that they've asked for a sign, they've asked for proof. So Abraham says, how can I know? How can I know? What sign are you going to give me? How can I be sure that what you say is going to happen? Can any of you think of any other people in the Bible who asked for that same kind of a 
a thing, that same kind of assurance, that same kind of a show me something, God, so I can know that it's really going to be like you said it's going Gideon. to be. Hmm? Gideon. Gideon's Gideon. a very good example, yes. So, <laughs> so Gideon, Gideon's story is a story that I love because when the angel came to call Gideon, Gideon was, uh, he was threshing wheat in a, in a wine press. Well, you're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press, right? A wine press is for pressing wine. But the... Um, the land at that time had been invaded and occupied by an enemy. And God was calling uh, Gideon to be a judge to rescue his people and his land. And Gideon is at, now, the way typically wine, so typically what would happen is if you had to thresh wheat, you would take it, because wheat isn't all that heavy, and so you would you would harvest it, and then you would take it to like a hilltop, and you would thresh it there, and kind of kind of beat it. And what would happen is the the wind would blow away the chaff, and the wheat would fall. It's heavier. The wheat would fall to the to the ground, and they would catch that, and then they would use that for their wheat. So usually threshing wheat would take place on an elevated elevated area, like on the top of a hill. That's where you thresh wheat. A wine press, on the other hand, would be at the bottom of a hill because grapes are heavy. And so it's a lot easier to carry grapes down a hill than up a hill, right? So you would harvest the grapes and take them down the hill. And usually a wine press would be a depressed area. It would be lower. Sometimes even like a hole would be dug out or something. So here is Gideon threshing wheat not at the top of the hill, at the bottom of the hill, in a wine press, in a depressed area. In other words, he's hiding. He's Because what happens is the people who invaded the land steal all of the wheat and all of the animals, and they take them for their own. So he's threshing, he's hiding it from the invaders, trying to thresh wheat where he won't be found out. But God finds him there anyway, right? And then he calls Gideon, and Gideon is so reticent, right? He says, well, okay, let's just do this, God. Let's have a test. I have this fleece, and I want to put it out in the ground. When I wake up in the morning, I want, I forget now the, the, the order, but I want the fleece to be dry and dew to be all around it. So dew falls in the morning, and when I get up, there will be, there will be dew everywhere, but the fleece will be dry. Wakes up, that's exactly what happens. Well, God, I just, I just want to make sure. I just, I'm not. That might have just been a coincidence. So tomorrow, I want to wake up and I want the fleece to be wet, but all the ground around it to be dry. And so that seems like that does seem kind of miraculous, right? So he wakes up the next morning, and sure enough, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. So then Gideon says, "Okay, I guess I do it." You know. So Gideon's a very good example of that. Any, any others? Moses. Exactly. Burning bush. God speaks to him. Moses, go back to Egypt. I'm calling you to set my people free. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. You're fine. You're good. 
And Moses says, yeah, God, but I don't know. I don't think I'm up to it. I'm with you. You'll be fine. I'm, oh, God, I, I, I don't, I just don't know. How can I know? How can I know, God? How can I know? And he says, well, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it down. It becomes a serpent. And then he picks it back up, and it's a staff again. He says, there's your sign. And Moses says, I know, God, man. I I'm not a very good spokesman. I can't speak very well. And God says, oh, my goodness. Okay, fine. Your brother will speak to you for you. And, you'll, and, and so, yeah, Moses says, I got to give me more. I need to have my cat. I need to have a sign. And then if you go even John the Baptist, remember? John the Baptist, at the very end, he says, uh, you know, they, his, John the Baptist sends people to Jesus. says, John wants to know, are you the one? And Jesus says, well, just tell him what I'm doing. Tell him what I'm saying. That Because it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And John will know if you tell him just what I'm doing, what I'm saying. And so John the Baptist asked, you know, I, I thought, because I, because I, baptized, when I remember when John baptized him, he said, here is, right, here is the guy. And yet, after John is in prison and getting to the end, he says, well, you know, because, you know what, because Jesus wasn't, doing exactly what John expected him to do. And so John began to have doubts. Well, is he really? I gotta, let's, let me ask. I mean, you know, did, did I make a mistake? Did I misunderstand? And Jesus says, no, no. Just tell him what I'm doing. So this was a sign for John the Baptist that, yes, what you thought, what you believed is actually true. It is true. And then remember even the people who uh, the, the religious leaders who this is different, they didn't want it to be, um, and the people who, who were around Jesus, at the time, they didn't want it to prove they, they believe. They wanted it to, I mean, they didn't believe and they were looking for a sign to help them to believe. So they came to Jesus and they said, okay, all this sounds good, Jesus. All this is great that you're saying and doing, but we need a sign. We need a sign. You, you know, like call down fire from heaven, do something amazing, right? Then we'll believe. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you any sign except the sign of who? Jonah. Just like we heard here. The sign of Jonah, three days buried in the grave. Jonah was basically buried in the grave of the fish. And three days later, you know, I'll rise again as Jonah came out of that, that you know, grave of the fish. And he came out and was alive again to preach. Jesus, three days in the tomb, would be alive again to preach and to teach and to bring and people to where was it said in the Bible? Was it Jesus or was it before Jesus? Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. Yeah, that was that was Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't in the Old Testament. Yeah, 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 with well, that too. So he, he, that was a reference to an Old Testament thing. So, uh, so yeah, right, exactly. You know, and, and these amazing people of the faith, God speaking to them directly Abraham directly, Moses directly, and you know John the Baptist having baptized Jesus, still they said, well, how will I know? How can I know? And so when you're sometimes wondering about what God's doing in your life, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, but just remember that the same God that proved himself to these Old Testament people is the same God who's involved in your life. And he can do anything. And sometimes the more outlandish things he does, uh, he does just to show us 
you know, what he can do. I love the um, the scripture passage, right? Uh, Trust in me with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That is so hard for us to do, isn't it? It's so hard. Trust in me with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We got the first part. Trust, oh Lord, we trust you. We trust you with all of our heart. We trust you completely. The second part is the hard part. Do not lean on your own understanding. Because we look at things, we say, this is impossible. This is too much. This isn't. This can't be done. And yet, God says, don't lean on your understanding. I got this. I got you. I got this. You're okay. Greg, right along with that is patience and, and waiting. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know. So, I mean, that's one of the real hard things. I think in this day and age, it's really hard. <laughs> too much going on right now. Well, I think there are a lot of people today, unbelievers especially, who do kind of are kind of like that themselves. They say, "Well, you know, I, I just I need some kind of a sign. Now, how can I know that Jesus is really God's son? How can I really know that I'll be saved through faith in Christ? How can I really know? They're I don't know what they want. You know, some kind of sign or something themselves. And uh, you know, that's not the way God works, right? You have faith." Come in in faith. So what's your take on signs? We hear we got the heroes of the faith, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, and they all are asking for signs, and yet my teaching has been that we're, we probably shouldn't be asking for signs. Um, well, you, the, said, do not put the word your God to the test. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, so what's the answer? Do you ask for signs or do you do Well, I think if God speaks to you directly, uh, you can ask for a sign, maybe, but I don't think that we should be in a position of always asking God for some kind of a sign. Yeah. I think you know that's part of just having faith. You know, we have faith without the sign, right? You believe without, like 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 Jesus said, you know, you, I'm with you, and you believe, but but wonder how wonderful it would be for the people who don't see me and haven't seen me that they're going to believe in me. So I think that today in this day and age, I mean, there are people who believe that it's okay to ask God for a sign of some kind uh, as an answer to some direction in life. You know, God, let this happen, and then I'll know you want me to do this. But I don't think that that's really what we're called to be. I think we're to be a people of faith, to trust God. To act, We should ask him to show us his path, his plan, his way, give us wisdom and discernment to understand it, to follow, and, and, and give us, you know, obedience to follow faithfully. Uh and just trust him. I think we, that's the we thing. We can certainly pray that he might act in a certain way. Oh, sure, absolutely. That's not, that's oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Please do this. Please help me. No, absolutely. But then just leave it in his hands and have trust and faith that, uh, no, I don't think signs are something that we should be uh, be doing today. I mean, I, I don't, in none of these cases do I see that God said, it's good that you asked me for a sign. You know, he didn't say, oh, Abraham, I'm so glad you asked me for a sign, or Gideon, or Moses. As a matter of fact, in most cases, you get the impression that God wasn't too happy with them for doing that. So I think uh, if God wasn't too happy, you know, that wasn't, you know, like in the case of Moses, that wasn't, God wanted Moses to do it, and yet he brought Aaron on because God wouldn't do it, you know. So I think that uh, as I read those times when it happened, that uh, God permitted it, and maybe God even gave him a sign, but God wasn't happy that that it happened, you know, so uh, that they asked. They, he just wants us to trust him, 
to have faith in him and to follow him and not need a sign. You know, not that's much. true, but you know, it's, it was, I can't help thinking it was so much easier uh, for people that, that see that saw miracles right in front of them. But maybe it's the same thing you're saying. I feel like I've seen miracles. Sure. So even if they aren't uh, as out there as some of the ones in the Bible, um, I guess I feel the same thing. Well, I, I think I think we need to pray that we see the miracles because every one of us sees miracles in our lives if we look closely enough. But some people just scam over them, skim over them, and they don't really even recognize them as miracles. So maybe the prayer is, dear Lord, help us to see your your work being done in this world. What's you know. I mean, there have been certain answers to prayer that I've gotten that I consider to be miracles. Uh, there are certain things I've prayed about that when they happened, I mean, it was, again, so outlandish. I didn't see any way. I didn't know how it was going to take, how God was going to take care of it. And yet he did. And when I look back, I say, God, that was just a miracle. That was just a God thing. No, it wasn't burning bush, but to me, it was on par. And so, yes, but, but, but to your point, Stan, you know, that is that is true, you think, but you look at, for example, the uh, Israelites who came out of Egypt with Moses. I mean, 40 days, he's up on the mountain, 40 days getting God's uh, law and the Ten Commandments, and he's gone for 40 days, and the people at the bottom of the mountain are like, well, we don't know what's happened to him. Build us a golden calf. Now, they just came out of Egypt with him. After seeing all of the, you know, frogs and boils and, you know, the reds, the, the, the water turning to blood and all of that, and the Passover, all these miraculous things, they follow him to get the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and 40 days later, they're turning back to a golden calf. And it's like, what? You know, it would seem to me like if I came through that, I would be... My faith would be strong enough to get me through 40 days with waiting for my leader to come back down the hill. So there's just something about our human nature that uh, fights against, because, you know, our human nature is kind of has that sin built in, and it fights against God. There's a spiritual battle going on every single day in our lives, every single moment of every single day. And, um, and, and it's hard. It's hard to fight against that, and that's why we have to give God place in our lives and say, no, I'm not going to allow myself to doubt. I'm not going to allow myself to uh, not to have these times. I want to believe God. I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to, oh, I do that, be obedient to the Lord as well. I think in yielding to the Holy Spirit too, you know, when we're attacked or when we're looking for help, not necessarily a sign, but some sort of answer from God, we just yield to the Holy Spirit and, and be patient, you know what I mean? And, you know, signs come when you don't expect them, you know what I mean? Blessings come when you don't expect them. So, and we have the benefit of that as believers. Mm-hmm. You know. Don't you think His Word, when we by our faith, yeah, right. I mean, when you look at all the things, and that's why I say the Old Testament is so important, because the Old Testament is a, is a, is a book of stories. 
and they're stories where God is proving himself. Um, uh, he's proving himself in miraculous ways, uh, sometimes because people ask for it, sometimes just because he's taking care of them. I mean, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, my goodness. That was the way for them to escape from uh, being murdered by the, the pursuing Egyptian army. God made that way. And we say, our God is the same God that parted the Red Sea. If he can do that, you know, why don't we believe he can take care of us? Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to take care of us in the way that we expect him to or the way we want him to. And I've said it before in this class. Sometimes God only makes sense in hindsight. And Joe and I were just talking before class today. It's a lot easier to see God move in hindsight than in foresight. Uh, but sometimes you get through that time and you say, well, it didn't really happen the way I thought it would happen or wanted it to happen or expected it to happen, but it happened in God's way, and I, I'm okay. I, I, and I grew from that, and I learned from that, and I'm better because of that. So. Well, God's always going to do stuff Yeah, but we have that, when we get into that, that crucible, we forget that sometimes, right? Well, I mean, not to say that he won't punish you, and he can, but he wants to do things for you. He has a plan. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. He has a plan. And that's what he's talking to Abraham. I have a plan. This is my plan. You're going to inherit this. You're going to have a child, these descendants, and you're going to inherit this land. You know, Gideon, I have a plan for you. Moses, I have a plan for you. And what we have to do in our lives is Understand that just as he had a plan for these people, he has a plan for us, each one individually. And we don't need a sign for him to show us that his plan is going to be for good. We just have to follow him in faith and trust and believe and be obedient and be in his will. And that plan will work itself out. And sometimes, we, sometimes like Jess says, just have to be patient. Well, I until like it happens. that God doesn't give up. I mean, Abraham did it wrong. He took his dad with him. Putting under yeah. the land, maybe they would have had children a lot sooner if he had followed what the Lord said. But the Lord still can salvage something out of his disobedience. Exactly right. And the same with um, who else? Is I think they didn't follow it the way the Lord said. But he's well, Jonah. Jonah is a good example. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we can make a mistake, and God can still salvage that for us, get us through that. We can learn something. And, you know, like I said before, when what I've learned in my life the hard way is, uh, as I said previously, when I say to myself, I deserve, I deserve this, you know, and I've learned every single time I say I deserve something, it's not really, it's not, it's what I want. And when I move forward with it, God says, no, and it never works out good. It never works out good. I think more often than that, we say, I don't deserve that. <laughs> that happens, too. That happens, too. So, but we just have to learn that, you know, give God the time, give God the place, give God the space, believe, be obedient, be faithful, and just as he worked it out for these people of the faith, he'll work it out for us. Okay, now what we're going to do, your homework is... <laughs> I know we got through, uh, gosh, maybe one verse today. Um, Are we on, did we finish eight? <laughs> uh, no, seven. No, we didn't finish eight. We got through chapter, verse seven today. So um, 
next week, there's something really cool about uh, Abraham when he purchases the land where he is going to bury Sarah when she dies. And this is in Genesis 23. So look at Genesis 23 for next week because this is a significant thing that happens. Uh, Sarah dies, and Abraham wants to buy a cave uh, in um, uh, Hebron uh, where to bury her. And this is a really important thing that happens, uh, and we'll talk about why it's important next week. Uh, It's a really uh, cool thing and an incredible thing. So we're going to... we're going to uh, read down to probably um, Acts 7 down to maybe as far as verse 16. And then we're going to, because in verse, in verse 16 it says, Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the son, from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. So we're going to leap off there at verse uh, 16. We're going to go back to uh, Genesis 23. And look at exactly what happened when Abraham bought that land, because that is important and it has uh, a lot of uh, importance for what happens in the future and even has application to our lives today. So uh, we'll we'll start next week on verse 8. We'll go to verse 16, and then we'll jump to Genesis 23 and look at that. So um, I do have a note in that that Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that her death is given. Her age. Her age. Her age is given, yeah. She's the only woman. She's the only woman who's a 127, I think, is what she was. But that shows the importance of how important Sarah was. That that, that was that was done. So, so that was uh, that was Abraham. That was you know Abraham was a wonderful, great guy, important, a man of faith. But he wasn't perfect. And we learned where he took his dad. He took his nephew. wasn't really what God wanted him to do. And here, when God makes two promises to him a people, a son, and possession of the land, he still wasn't to the point where he could really believe without some kind of a sign that he would take possession of the land. So all of that is just to say, please believe God. Please. Because people don't believe today because they're still looking for some kind of a sign, some kind of proof. And that's not what faith is all about. Faith is believing in in what this word says, what God says, what God does. And... um, and our, our faith and our belief is a deposit on something that's going to happen in the future where we uh, inherit the kingdom of God. So uh, we need to be more like that and, and not like Abraham when he says, and these other people, Moses and Gideon and so forth, like, well, show us a sign. We don't need a sign. We have this. This is our sign. God's word is our sign. That's, what, that's all we need to have faith in him. So, Okay, that's it for today. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
may in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.